The Holy Gospel according to the 12th chapter of St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you all and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes in church buildings, you can find some really pretty amazing, interesting things. Oftentimes, there are antiques that have managed to sneak through our occasional attempts to update our facility. My favorite here is our Aid Association for Lutherans clock in the, in the fellowship hall. The Aid Association for Lutherans hasn't been around for quite a while, but it's a really cool clock, so it's nice to have. But in my former parish in Chester, Montana, in the downstairs bathroom, there was a mirror with a big um, sign on it or a big slogan on it, and then a picture on it. And it said that it was given um, free and courtesy of the local Chevy dealership in town, which had closed about 40 years earlier. And its, its message was simply, the slogan on, slogan on it was simply, go to church on Sundays, right? Go to church on Sundays. And then there was this cool picture that went with it on the mirror with, that was straight out of the 50s, it looked like, which it was a family sitting in church you know, sitting neatly and orderly in church, husband, wife, son, and daughter, you know, the perfect four-person family, all of them very dressed up, even the dad wearing a suit and tie, very dressed up. They all looked wonderfully happy, especially the children just looked so happy to be there, standing there in church, all of them singing their hearts out, right, blessed and just in the presence of God, you know, maybe even a beam of sunlight coming down upon them. So this is a picture of what many, ex- many expect out of their experience of church, right? The family that prays together stays together. But then Jesus goes and he says this. He says, do you think I have come to bring, bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided father against son and mother against daughter. So how are you supposed to come up with a marketing slogan to sell Chevys about that, right? We don't really know what to do with this Jesus from Luke chapter 12. 
He doesn't really fit into our assumptions and expectations. We expect him to come and heal families, not divide them. So maybe it's helpful as we're, as we're you know, trying to think about this passage, maybe it's helpful to think about the experience of the early Christians uh, of the first couple of centuries. You know, really the first pe- per- people to receive these words and, and uh, make sense of them in their lives. So a couple of details about their situation. Uh, One was that Jesus was Jewish, right? Jesus was Jewish. And so early Christianity arose and developed mostly among Jewish people, in Jewish synagogues, amongst Jewish congregations, Jewish groups of people, right? And then secondly, remember that Jesus and the early Christians lived at a time when the Roman Empire was incredibly powerful and governed the area Jesus lived in. Its emperor's picture was on coins. Citizens were expected to recite the slogan, Caesar is Lord, right? The emperor is Lord. They were expected to, to confess that. So both of these realities set the stage for controversy and division and hardship when Christianity came about. Imagine a Jewish congregation in which some members began talking about this Messiah that had come along, this long-awaited Messiah that had finally come. His name was Jesus, and, but he was actually crucified, executed as a criminal, this Messiah. Imagine the controversy, the division that would result as members of this Jewish congregation began talking about him. These families which had been worshiping together for years, sharing life together, supporting one another. Some of these congregations were far away from Jerusalem. So the, the, the community their members uh, made up uh, were, were just a, a huge source of support for these families. Imagine the gospel arriving and the breaking apart of that community, that Jewish congregation, all the pain and agony over people having to choose sides, right? Tradition or this crucified Messiah. In addition, Roman rule meant devotion to any other religion rather than the official state religion of the empire, the officially endorsed religion of the empire in which Caesar was lord meant if you endorsed anything else, it meant that you were breaking the law, that you were an outlaw. Imagine being a good Roman citizen and having your child come home one day and say, Dad, Mom, now Jesus is my Lord. I'm a member of a new empire, a new kingdom, and I don't care what will happen to me. Imprisonment, torture, death, martyrdom. I now follow a crucified Lord. Caesar's a phony, right? Imagine how you would feel as a parent. So my point is that though this passage may sound really harsh to us, it spoke the truth of what was going on in the lives of the earliest followers of Jesus. How does it speak truth to us today? Does Jesus today cause division, upsetting what we may consider to be peace? Maybe where we need to really stop and sit and ponder and reflect with this text is actually the word peace. When we think of peace as calm and quiet, you know, a peaceful setting at a lake or something, when we think of it that way, everyone appearing to get along, we leave ourselves open for the possibility possibility that peace 
might be just a veneer, making the family or the church or whatever organization or system to appear to be united and healthy. To the observer, everything is calm and at peace. But what if when, that, but what if when they get home from church, this uh, Chevrolet family, what if when they get home from church, mom and dad quickly descend into some you know, typical form of dysfunction, freaking out the kids, and the kids just run to their room for the rest of the day to escape the bizarreness, right? Is that peace? Or a community appears to be at peace, healthy, with thriving businesses, schools, and churches, yet there are a couple hundred of, ki- hundred of kids homeless, couch surfing, as is the case in the, in the flathead up here. And the community has no idea what to do about it. So, right, there's the appearance, the veneer, but underneath the the particle board that is rotting and swelling and warping. It seems to me Jesus could care less about appearances, and he's all about the core where real life is taking place. So when you are at work with the core of things, then division will take place. Controversy will will take place. When the workings of a dysfunctional system or family are confronted, even if it is the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Life who is doing the confronting, then there will be division and controversy. People's feelings will get hurt. Are you with me? But But isn't there always pain when healing is involved? Right? How many of you have ever been to physical therapy? Just raise your hand. One finger. Many of you have been to physical therapy. Okay, a couple years ago, my mom had her knee replaced, and so she had to go to several, through several weeks of physical therapy, right? And with knee replacements, there's this big concern that the joint is going to really stiffen up and you're going to lose a lot of mobility and the whole uh, range of motion thing is going to get slim and life will just not be very pleasant for you. And so you go to physical therapy for several weeks so that the therapist can stretch your knee, right? Pushing it back further and further each week. I mean, it hurts just to think about it, right? You can feel the muscles stretching, the tendons popping, um, all this horrible stuff going on in your knee, but health is taking place. Wholeness is taking place as that physical therapist pushes and pushes and stretches and stretches and things are being broken down so that they can be built up in a more healthy way later. So my mom said that it made her cry which if you knew my mom wouldn't surprise you at all, but it made her cry to go to the physical therapist a couple times a week. It was horrible, so painful. But unless that pain happens, there will be no health. There will be no improvement. This work is a big deal to Jesus. He is willing to get crucified for it. He is more more than happy to be resurrected to continue it. He speaks of his baptism, which he is under great stress to complete, meaning his work on the cross, right? His baptism is his work on the cross, being crucified on the cross, which he is so focused on, so intent on, urgent about, that it's like he's feeling stressed out to get to that point and get it just right. It's just that important. 
Well, if our Lord's work led to people being so offended by him that they would actually kill him, crucify him, then should it surprise us if our work in following him and going about life his way should lead to offense towards us? Doesn't it make logical sense that if we adopt what we think are the priorities of Christ as we find them in the Gospels, that those priorities will come into conflict with the world, which worked so hard to silence him. Even in our closest social groups, our families, even in the church. It's a bit daunting at times, I know. I mean, I love to not create conflict, right? So it's daunting, it's scary. We mix up peace with not hurting the feelings of others, or peace with always putting on the right appearance or the big enough smile. But does that sound at all like Jesus? Christ gave up his life. He took on the woundedness and dysfunction of families and churches and communities and the world. He took on your wounds and your wounding that you may have life in return. May his resurrection give us power and courage to follow him into working for, even fighting for, true peace for all of his children. Amen.